You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, April 21st, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and I'd like to begin today's show with a special shout-out to subscribers to this podcast. And to join that group, all you have to do is go to your favorite podcast venue and click the subscribe button. And if you do that, we'll deliver new episodes to your device each morning as they are posted. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets with new episodes each day, Monday through Friday. Today we have our weekly mailbag. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Our first question is from Joe. Joe writes, Hey John, hope everything is going well on your end. What are your thoughts on how draft analysts cover quarterbacks? A few traits that I consistently hear about are Wilson's arm talent, his use of eyes to move defenders, off-platform throws, and arm angle and release. Which traits do you think translate well from college to the NFL, and which do you think are overrated? Well, Joe, I appreciate you wishing me well. Yeah, things are going pretty well. This has been a good week for me. Uh, Monday was both my birthday and the day I got my first vaccine. So yeah, this has been a good week so far. But as far as Zach Wilson goes, um, you know, everything you mentioned matters because Wilson's arm is really special. And that means that his ceiling's probably higher than it would be for a quarterback with less arm talent. Because, you know, if he's on the run, he might be able to hit a throw in the back of the end zone that another quarterback cannot. Now, that said, I do think sometimes when we analyze quarterbacks, we get a little carried away with the arm strength. Quarterback, to me, is more a thinking position than a physical position. Because you have to be able to decipher a defense. You have to be able to throw accurately on time very quickly you know the the amazing thing to me is like if I watch something on film if you give me like probably somewhere between three and five minutes I can tell you exactly what happened on a given play if you play quarterback you have to be able to figure that out in like two to three seconds and be able to physically throw a ball accurately so it's a tough position to play so one of the things that's difficult when you evaluate these quarterbacks is they don't see NFL-style defenses all that frequently. They don't see defensive calls with the complexity that you see in the NFL. So that's what makes it so difficult, because that's probably the most important thing, the ability to decipher what a defense is doing. So you can judge them based on what they did in college, but what they did in college doesn't always correlate to the NFL, because in the NFL you see things that are much more difficult. And this is not just a Wilson thing. It's true of every single quarterback, from Trevor Lawrence to... Mac Jones, to Trey Lance, to Justin Fields, to Wilson. I mean, every single one of these quarterbacks are going to have to answer questions about can they figure out more complex schemes. I think when you're talking about the quarterback position, another thing that matters is leadership, which is very intangible. There's not a, little, there's not a lot that's obvious to you or I. That's the kind of thing that you have to figure out behind the scenes. The scouts have to do their work. They have to speak with the people who know these guys, people who were around the team, understand their leadership ability, understand their work ethic, because you're not going to be able to grow into an NFL quarterback unless you're a hard worker. And, you know, part of part of it is just the situation you're put in. You know, we could talk about Sam Darnold for a while. One of the issues with Sam Darnold is he was not put in a position to succeed. You know, if you put Josh Allen on the Jets with Adam Gase throwing three-yard slot out routes to Braxton Berrios, is Josh Allen going to be playing at an MVP level? I would argue no. 
So there's a lot that goes into quarterback play. I think what happens, though, is most of these things are very difficult to figure out. There are not things that are obvious. The things that are obvious are the physical tools you're talking about, arm strength, arm talent, athletic ability. So that's what draft analysts focus on. And those things matter. Those things can take you from good to great or average to good. But they aren't the thing that typically make or break your career unless your arm is really really weak but if you have enough if you it's one of the, i think arm strength is the type of thing where if you have an abundance of it if you have a ton of arm strength it doesn't necessarily make that big of a difference but not having arm strength you know not having a baseline of arm strength that can destroy your career it's it's more important to have an adequate arm than it is to have a great arm our next question, what are the positives and are there any negatives in the quote-unquote Shanahan offense? What makes Wilson a good scheme fit? You know, I saw this tweet from one analyst a few weeks back. And I can't remember. I wish I remembered who it was. Somebody posted it in the comment section of my website. It said, essentially, this guy's a great fit for the Shanahan offense. Said about every quarterback ever. And it made me laugh because that's exactly the case. Is every single quarterback you hear about how they're a great hit, a great fit for the Shanahan offense. And I think that's because like the Shanahan offense bases the passing game typically off play action, and play action makes life easier for your quarterbacks because you have defenders, defensive defenders committing to the run, which means there are open throwing lanes, the, the reads are simpler. So, you know, it's it's an offense that essentially is very quarterback friendly friendly if run properly. You know, if you can establish the run and if you can get working off play action, it, it's really it can be really beneficial for your offense. But it's one of those things; it, it has to be run effectively. And if it is, then yeah, it makes makes life easier for your quarterback. And jokingly, I would say Zach Wilson is a great fit for the Shanahan offense because he plays quarterback, and every quarterback is it said every quarterback is a great fit for the Shanahan offense. Our next question comes from David. John, I've been listening to the podcast for several several years now and have generally enjoyed all but the listener spotlight episodes. I know some may like that stuff, but it's not for me. Anyway, my question relates to something you have mentioned repeatedly but never expounded upon as far as I recall. It was the backup quarterback. You mentioned fairly regularly that teams don't value the backup quarterback enough and that backup quarterbacks, as in the Carson Wentz-Nick Foles scenario with the Eagles, shows the importance. But I would like to know what is the range of resources above what teams normally dedicate to this position that you would think is appropriate. Obviously, in a salary cap league and taking positional value into account, as well as considering locker room and possibly even fan politics, I don't want two equal number one quarterbacks. And what you have said is they don't value it enough, so more resources should be dedicated to that position than, say, a backup guard or corner. Please expound on your thoughts. I generally agree with your premise, but when considering it along these lines, most teams assume that if they have to play the backup quarterback for any significant time, their hopes for the season are likely dashed unless certain scenarios like the Philly situation plays out, since the quarterback is such an integral part of the team's success or failure. All right, so a lot there from David. First of all, David is telling you that he likes me, but he does not like you because he likes the podcast, but he doesn't like the listener spotlight segments when listeners come on the show. So David, I appreciate the comments that you like me, but you don't like, I'm just joking, of course. Um, thank you for your, for your support for the show, David. Um, so David's question is essentially, I always talk about how teams don't value the draft, the backup quarterback position enough, but what does that actually mean? And I think in general, in general, I'm talking more about the draft than in free agency because if anybody can play quarterback at a high quality level and is capable of getting a big contract on the open market, odds are they're going to get a starting job. Nobody's 
typically going to take a backup quarterback job, even if it pays a lot. So generally speaking, I'm talking more about the draft. And I think there's a perception that when you when you have a starting quarterback who is entrenched, that you cannot draft a quarterback early. You cannot draft another quarterback in the early rounds. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking the early rounds. I'm talking, can you draft a quarterback rounds two or three to be your backup? People would say that's a waste because he's never going to see the field. You know, David mentioned that it's generally understood that if your back, if your starting quarterback goes down, your season's probably over. Well, that's exactly the reason you need to invest in a backup quarterback. If the quarterback, if the quarterback situation is such that the backup of your your backup can either make or break your season if your starter goes down, that means that you need to invest in the backup quarterback position. In fact, you could take this to an extreme, based on what you saw last year from Miami out of Tua Tagovailoa. Would it have been crazy for the Dolphins to draft a quarterback? if they had kept the third overall pick? Because the other thing is, I think sometimes teams are too confident in the young quarterbacks that they draft. Toughest position to evaluate, and they put all their eggs in one basket. Why would you not want a second guy in there? It gives you two chances to find a franchise quarterback. You know, back in 2008, Brett Favre had retired for the Green Bay Packers. People forget People forget this. The Packers used a second-round pick on a quarterback, Brian Brom, even when they had Aaron Rodgers. And Brom did not work out. Rodgers, of course, turned out great. There was all this talk at the time about how the Packers had no faith in Rodgers, how they were creating a controversy. Now, look, it wasn't a great use of a pick, but there was no, you know, it did not hurt them. Nobody looks, nobody remembers that now as a bad pick. They essentially gave themselves another opportunity to find a quarterback. Now, you know, one of the things David mentioned is, you know, do you undermine your quarterback? You know, if you have a starting quarterback, you create all sorts of controversy, potentially in the locker room potentially in the media. But here's here's the thing about that. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but this is the disconnect that I never understood with, with that argument because I've heard that argument a lot when I've made the point that you need to invest more in the backup quarterback. When you have a starting quarterback in the NFL, you are essentially saying that we believe that this guy can do everything. This guy can lead us to victory in tough situations. He can go on the road. He will be a leader in the locker room. He will do all this stuff. But then we act like this guy is incapable of winning a, winning, winning a competition. We act like he will be destroyed. His confidence level will just be eviscerated by bringing a, a, another quarterback into the room. It, there's such a disconnect because you're, on the one hand, you're saying we believe this guy can do anything for us. But on the other hand, he can't even handle another quarterback being on this team. This will destroy, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I think that there's a huge disconnect there. So... I'm talking more in the draft than free agency, I think, because I think, you know, once you get to the point where a quarterback can make any degree of money, he's going to go somewhere else and be a starting level quarterback. But I think it's in the draft. You know, would you consider drafting a quarterback in the early rounds? The standard answer is probably no. People would say, no, I I don't want to draft a, a backup quarterback early when you could draft a wide receiver or an edge rusher. I say, a backup quarterback might be one of the 10 most important people on your team, so you should absolutely look to draft them early. And the other thing that happens is sometimes people are afraid if there's a decent veteran out there who's maybe nearing the end of his career. You know, There are a few backup quarterbacks who are solid who come cheap because they're nearing the end of their career or they're looking to reset things, and they say, well, we don't want to undermine the starter. That goes back to what I said. You know, You have to be able to deal with adversity on the quarterback. You can't be threatened by that. You need to be able to show that this is my team. You know, you can't always have things handed to you at the quarterback position. So I hope that that answered my my. Uh, I hope that that elaborated a little bit on some of the things I've said, David. 
This episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative design styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They are the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high-quality, fine jewelry that will surprise and delight, and fairly priced so you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you're on the hunt for the perfect, unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only on BlueNile.com. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever, and the improved Built Bar is even more delicious. There are now 18 amazing flavors. They are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, the promo code is LOCKED15, it's one word, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft Live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three-day coverage of the NFL Draft, April 29th through May 1st. And this is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question comes from Jim. Let's suppose a team approaches the Jets in the next 10 days with a spectacular offer for the number two pick, which includes a non-top 10 pick this year, but still a number one and multiple future number ones. I'm talking about a, a huge offer, but one that would not allow the Jets a chance to draft any of the top five quarterbacks without trading back into the top 10. Do you think Joe Douglas would bite having traded Sam and putting all of his eggs in the basket for this year's quarterback class? Would he pass because it might embarrass him to be without a quarterback for a time? I know he could find one like Teddy Bridgewater, but this might leave the franchise looking bad temporarily, which would not reflect positively on his leadership. Well, I don't think there's any chance the Jets would take the offer, but I don't think it's about optics. I just think that the Jets have found their quarterback, and you know, right now it kind of looks like it's Zach Wilson. I mean, there's always the possibility that the Jets have been faking us all out and it's somebody else, but once you find your quarterback and you become convinced that he's your guy, I don't think there's any price that would make you trade out, especially one that would make you trade out of the top 10 and not get a quarterback at all. I don't think it's a matter of embarrassment. I just think the Jets have so put so much value on the guy that they're going to draft that there's nothing that could get them to move out of that pick. If there was, they would not have traded Darnold. But I think once the Jets traded Darnold, it was assigned to the rest of the NFL that this pick is not off the table. You are not getting this pick. I think it's as simple as that. I think it's the value the Jets put will put on the guy that they're drafting because the quarterback position is the most important in the league. Quarterbacks are the most valuable, and the Jets. I just I can't imagine the Jets passing on a quarterback. It doesn't matter how good how good of an offer they get. You know, I don't think the Jets would move down even to like four or five because then you risk losing the guy you want. They they clear they clearly I think are focused on one guy. We don't know for sure which guy that is, but. 
I don't even think they'd move down to if Atlanta wanted to trade up. I don't think they'd do it because they don't want to risk losing their guy. Right now, the Jets have their pick of the non-Trevor Lawrence quarterbacks. And even if it's a guy you think will you think will be there at four, that's not the kind of thing you mess around with. You, 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 you don't want to have any chance of losing the guy that you think is your franchise quarterback. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's being traded. I don't think it's because of how it would look. I think it's because of how it would, would impact the team. Our next question is from David. John, I saw a few mock drafts where the Jets took a corner at 23, and then one of the top five corners was still available early in the second round. Would you say it would be borderline insane to use two of the top three picks on cornerbacks? My thought is that it would not be crazy, and it is a premium position where you could potentially add two starters and at least minimize the risk across from Bryce Hall. No, I don't think it's crazy at all. And I think we as Jets fans are not used to prosperity at any position. You know, I think that because of what's happened, because of the rosters the Jets have put on the field the last 10 years or so, we kind of have this mindset that there is a limit to how many good players you can have at any one position. And so like when some, when, when an opportunity to add another good player comes up, we say, well, we already have this guy. But the truth is there are certain positions where you can never have enough good players, and corner is one of them. And right now you can make the case that the Jets don't have any good players at corner. You have a few young guys you're hoping will pan out, but those are no guarantees. It's an important position. I mean, you could get potentially two starting corners if things work out this way. So I don't think it's a bad idea at all. In fact, I'd be pretty happy with that if the Jets got two of the top five corners in this draft for the reason, I mean, I think they both could potentially be day one starters for this team because of how little the Jets have at the position. But I will, there are certain positions I will never object to adding another quality player at. You know, pass rusher is one of them. Wide receiver is one of them. Quarterback is one of them. Corner, it, corner is another position where I just don't think you can ever have enough good players. And right now the Jets don't have any. And the thing is, like, this, is, this almost isn't even a discussion that this almost isn't even a discussion because both of these guys would be stepping into starting roles probably. So, you know, there, there's a need, there's really a need for two corners. And, you know, what happens with Bryce Hall? Well, Bryce Hall is still going to be on the team. There's nothing wrong with having depth. If he works out and you have three good corners, that's not a problem. That's a good thing. You want to have a lot of good corners. Next question. I keep hearing Aziz Ojolari's name mentioned as a possible Jets target, and I understand it's a premium position. The Jets need another pass rusher. He's projected to go somewhere in the late teens, early 20s, and there might not be the right value for corner or offensive line, depending on how the draft goes. But he just doesn't look like a good Robert Salah scheme fit. As At around 240 pounds, he's not an edge-setting 4-3 defensive end, and I'm not sure you're playing to Ojolari's strength if you make him the will. I know the defense is going to have multiple looks and there's a place for a pass rushing specialist of his size and skill set, but where does he fit in the 4-3 base in non-passing downs? That would justify the 23rd overall pick. I'm not sure what I'm missing. Well, you know, a couple things I'd say is, first of all, you know, we can throw around the words 4-3 defense, but as you mentioned, there are going to be multiple looks. There are very few defenses in the NFL that are pure four-man lines, pure three-man lines in today's league. I think that there are certain skill sets where there's certain skills you bring to the table where you you just work around it. You you adapt to what the player does. Now it's it's always a balance because you want to there there are always positions where you want a player who fits certain criteria. But I think for a pass rusher you work around it because pass rushing is a huge commodity in today's NFL. I mean it's always it's a huge commodity in yesterday's NFL. It's always been a huge commodity. 
if you can get somebody who can rush the passer, you work around that. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of the pass rushing specialist. Well, you know, this is a passing league. And now what you see is that players who used to play only on third down, you know, guys on obvious passing downs are now getting over 50% of the snaps in the league because it's such a passing league. So, you know, even even as somebody who's like your quote-unquote pass rushing specialist, which, you know, I'm not sure Ojolari would be that. Because so I do think he, I think he plays stronger than his build. I think he, I think he actually plays plays bigger than, than his pure size. But even if you get a guy who's only a pass rushing specialist, your pass rushing speci- specialist, they don't just come down on third and long anymore the way they did, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. They're playing over half the snaps for you. They're essentially starting level players for you. So, you know, I, that's those are a couple of things I would say about that issue. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball is underway. The NHL and NBA are approaching the playoffs. And Bet Online also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Today through the 26th, listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Audacity, featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, Jason Lockenfora, and Brian Baldinger. Our local experts for every team are making trades and picking the next stars for their team, including me. I am playing the role of Jets general manager in this mock draft. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Audacity app or wherever you get your podcasts. Audacity is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. And this is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question. With the NFLPA putting pressure on players not to attend any voluntary workouts this offseason, given the fact that the power of the NFLPA resides in its veterans, do you think there's any conflict of interest here, given that the less time players spend in the facility, the less chance young, proven, aspiring, undrafted free agent type players have to compete for roster spots held by the mainstay known commodity veterans? I, I don't think so. The NFLPA represents those players too. And, you know, sometimes you see that the biggest name players aren't the ones who benefit from the rules the league makes up that are negotiated by the players. The franchise tag is a good example of that. The big name players are the ones who are hurt the most by the franchise tag, yet it has remained in place. So, you know, I think the NFLPA, from what I've seen, does represent everybody. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to think that there's, there's a major issue here. I think, though, I do think you... you are accurate when you say that those are the players who are hurt the most by this. I mean, that's one of the things. If you go back years and years, there used to be two practices per training camp. They had two days. They don't have that anymore. That was negotiated out by the players' union. And I think it's just the players don't want to do it. <laughs> I think it's as simple as just like, I don't think it's that the players are worried about their, their spots. I don't think the players are worried about some young player taking their job. I just don't think they want to do it. <laughs> you know, they don't want to come in in the offseason. Um, but ultimately, if you're an unheralded young player who's not a high-round pick, you want as many opportunities as you can to make an impression for the coaching staff in the front office. And this is one thing like I never understood. After the draft each year, NFL teams usually bring in play, players they drafted and their undrafted rookies for a short rookie minicamp. But they also bring in a lot of players for tryouts. 
In fact, they bring in enough. They bring in almost enough players. When you add everybody up, the draft picks and the undrafted signings, and then the tryout players, and then you throw in a couple of other young players who may be part of this rookie minicamp, you essentially have enough for a full roster. I mean, you have almost enough for a full roster for each team. So I don't understand why the NFL doesn't put together some sort of spring league or summer league of these players, these draft picks, these you know undrafted free agents these tryout players. It could be a developmental league. Maybe you throw in a couple of young players you want to get snaps in there. And of course, like you you don't need to put everybody in there. You could take, you know, if you don't want your first round pick playing games in the spring or the summer, you don't need, you don't need to play them. But like the NBA does this. They have like the NBA summer league for like their prospects and players rehabbing from injuries. I don't understand why the NFL doesn't do it. You put together like a four, four week schedule for like these tryout rosters, these rookie minicamp rosters and give these guys a chance to actually play and show what they can do to the coaching staff instead of just giving them one weekend. And that kind of solves the problem problem in both ways because the older players don't need to go to these off-season practices, but the young players still have a chance to develop and they still have a chance to impress you instead of getting like one weekend. I never understand why the I never understood why the NFL doesn't do something like that. Our next question, is there any chance the lure of the fifth-year option entices Joe Douglas to trade up with the second-round pick? The Bucks don't have any extra picks aside from an extra seventh. Tossing maybe a fourth and a sixth to move up could be a chance to get us five three-year options at cornerstone positions. I'm sorry, five three-fifth-year options at cornerstone positions. It's a factor. I mean, you see it every year. Um, those picks at the end of round one, 30, 31, 32, they become pretty hot commodities for that reason because the, f- the players drafted in the first round, you get a team option for a fifth year, whereas every other contract after that, contracts in rounds two through seven are only four-year contracts with no fifth-year option. So, you know, it's possible. It depends on how much value Joe Douglas places on the fifth-year option, but I feel, I feel like you see it every year. Some team trades up from the second round, and a big motivating force for that is not necessarily to get the player. It's to get the player and get the fifth-year option. Sometimes I think teams teams think that the player is going to fall to them anyway, but they want the fifth-year option. So, I mean, I don't know how much of a motivating factor it is for Joe Douglas, but I do think that is possible. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for all the questions. Sorry we could not get to all of them, but this has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy our show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.